This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. And I'm telling you, when Jesus says that the way is narrow, he's not kidding. There will be many who say, I believe. And that's why I said intellectual affirmation is not enough. I lacked a fundamental ingredient essential to becoming a Christian. And it was this one word, commitment. You can't just say, I believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. It's commitment. It's to give everything over to him. And I mean everything. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines, podcast, broadcast and available online. This week, Pastor Jeff has more for us from the Awakening series. Our message today is about good intentions, not just having them, but moving past our good intentions. This is something we all need to do if we are to be called true believers and followers of Christ. Here's Pastor Jeff to explain this in detail. Matthew chapter 7 and Philippians 3. Now, how many of you know who the group Switchfoot is? Come on, raise your hands high. I'm expecting a lot out of this crowd. Up high. Have you people ever get out of the house? What's wrong with you? Switchfoot, great group. But I understand because it's still for the younger crowd. I saw John Foreman perform that song, Dare You to Move, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in a, a crowded warehouse with standing room only. I was so impressed with him. And by the way, don't you think Jeremiah, who did that song, looks a little bit like John Foreman? It's amazing. You might have thought that was John. But the reality is, I saw him do that song, and I was so touched by him. Man, he walked right into the crowd. And you, you know how you can just tell by the look in somebody's eyes, the humility that was there, and just reaching out his hand and grabbing those students and looking at them, and he had one message. But here's his message, John Foreman. I think he's from San Diego. And his message is very, very clear. He has this to say to young people. He says, I dare you to move. Get up off the floor. And don't go where every other teenager has gone before you and do what everybody else has done and live like everybody else has lived. And he says, you better make your decision right now of who you're going to follow. Because if you don't, the world is going to make it for you. And by the time that you realize where you are, If you wait too late, even though you want to get out of the flow of where you're going, it's virtually impossible to do so. And he has these strong words. You remember my African-American preacher friend who says what? You're going to die. You are. And what are they going to do? They're going to throw you in a hole, throw dirt in your face, and everybody's going to go back to the church and eat potato salad. That's what's going to happen. So decide now what it is that you're going to do. Now, that's what we've been trying to do in this series. We've said, wake up. We're out of the trees now. We're 40,000 foot level. We're looking down and we're trying to say, look, you've been in church for a long time. Sooner or later, you got to get it. Sooner or later, you got to make the, take the big plunge. You got to wake up, man, before you get so stuck, you can't. And so in that vein, I want to go to the third picture that we see in the big picture. And I want to contrast and compare two passages. The first one scares the living daylights out of me, honestly. And the second one, is just a great picture of what God calls us to be. So here's the first one in Matthew 7, 21. 
Jesus says, now you talk about troubling, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Now, come on, doesn't that scare you just a little? That somebody would be right there and they think, man, I'm in. Hey, I'm with you. I'm on your team. And then to hear Jesus, who holds the keys to all of eternity, look to you and say, what are you talking about, man? There was never really a time in your life where you committed, really. You were half-hearted all your life. You know, you gave some of yourself to me, but not all. You never intended to. And the reality is, Jeff Vines, I never really knew you. And then it's the next part. Depart, go away from me. Now, I find that incredibly scary. As a matter of fact, I grew up in the South. And do any of you remember going to tent revivals? Come on, show your age. Anybody go to a tent revival? Were those wacky or what? You had some guy stand up and yell at you for like an hour and a half. And then they would come to the end, invitation time, 25 verses of just as I am. And people would come down just as they are. And they would leave just as they were. Right? And I remember all my friends growing up. I mean, all of them, my basketball buddies, my baseball buddies, moved by the emotion. And they'd run up. And it was a matter of weeks until they were right back to where they were before they got there. And you know why? Because there was a difference. And I believe they had every intention. I know I did of being what Jesus wanted me to be, doing what Jesus wanted me to do, live as Jesus wanted me to live, but I lacked a fundamental ingredient essential to becoming a Christian, and it was this one word, commitment. Now I want you all to say it with me at the count of three. One, two, three, Commitment. One more time, don't be shy. One, two, three, commitment. Now, what is commitment? Now, I'm glad you asked that because here's the deal. I have told this story about three times since I've been here, and every time I tell it, I get an email. Somebody telling me, hey, I don't think you got the details quite right. Now, that ticks me off every time. So I spent hours this week find out the real story. His name is Charles Blondin. And from 1957 to 1960, not just once, but during the entire summer, from the month of around late May till late August, Charles Blondin walked a tightrope from the Canadian side to the American side of Niagara Falls. Every day, all summer long. And people would gather and shout his name. Blondin, Blondin. There's a statue of this guy in Canada now. There is. Blondin, Blondin. What's your name? I know your name. Tell us how What? Sal, let's give him a thrill. Everybody on one, two, three. One, two, three. Sal, Sal, Sal. Don't you feel better? Don't you feel good? Feel, woo. That's Charles Blondin. People gather, 25,000 people. Blondin, Blondin. Until the last day of the third year in 1960, he comes across from the Canadian side and he stops. And he looks at 25,000 people and he says this. Do you believe in me? Yes, we believe. My name is Charles Blondin. Do you believe in me? Yes, we believe. Third time. My name is Charles Blondin. Do you believe? Yes, we believe. And then he said, then, and I quote, who among you will go with me? <laughs> and it wasn't in a wheelbarrow. I said that about a month ago, but it wasn't. 
This guy on the email was right. It was, he did push a wheelbarrow around. That was part of his act. But he wanted somebody to go across on his shoulders. And the whole crowd, 25,000 people, said nothing. And then one guy, one guy said, I'll go. And you know who it was? His business manager. <laughs> he saw a good thing slipping away. And he got on his shoulders. There's a statue of Charles Blondin with his business manager on his shoulders going across a tightrope, Niagara Falls. And my point is simple. There were 25,000 people who claimed to believe, but only one actually did. And I'm telling you, when Jesus says that the way is narrow, he's not kidding. There will be many who will say, I believe. And that's why I said intellectual affirmation is not enough. You can't just say, I believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. It's commitment. It's to give everything over to him. And I mean everything. There's a book written by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps. Very simple, very direct. 40 million copies. 40 million people wanted to hear this and read this book. One simple premise, and it's this. Doing what Jesus would do if he were in your shoes. Folks, do you see what, you see what a Christian real... There's no such thing as half-hearted. There's no such thing as, I'll keep some, I'll give you the other. No, 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 no. You give it all or don't give it all. Everything goes to him. Which means you have no ambitions after you come to Christ other than what Christ gives you. You got new goals, new ambitions, new desires, and you trust Jesus to ride his shoulders through life, to live as he tells you to live, and you trust him to meet your desires and needs the way he says they ought to be met. And when you step outside of that, it proves that you may say you believe, but you're not committed. You're not. And if Jesus were to walk in your shoes, would he spend his money the way you spend your money? Would he treat your wife the way you treat your wife? Would he treat your children the way you treat them? Would he use his gifts the way you use your gifts and your talents and your ability? Would he hurt? Would you hurt the way he hurts? It's about commitment. Now look, I'm not saying we didn't have rules, and I hope this crowd gets this because nobody's laughed at this yet. We had rules. I remember our preacher, there will be no ping pong table in the church. Can you believe that? There will be no fun here. He wasn't kidding. There's no fun. <laughs> there will be no dancing in this church. You remember those days? Come up, some of you do. If you can't make room for the Holy Spirit, it's not of God. That's a whole new thing on procreation, but forget it. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. We did have our things, though. Oh, we like to talk about the rules we did, but we did have our weaknesses. What did we do in the 70s and early 80s? Hay rides. Do you remember that? Anybody remember hay rides? And Tony Campolo says about hay rides, there was one guy in the back of the truck singing Do Lord, and everybody else was doing it. And there's a lot of truth to that. We were really good at knowing, but we were horrible at actually doing. As a matter of fact, my whole generation, and I'm in it too, I was right there with them. My whole generation lived life what I call grace abusers. You see, the Christian life is supposed to be us 
working toward the center of Christ's likeness. This is Jesus, this is us. The whole Christian life for the genuine believer is to march toward it. Now you're going to fail. You're going to have weaknesses. I'm not saying that. You're going to have moments and laughs. I know. But the point is, when you do, you know, because your all intense passion is to become Christ-like. When you fail, you know the grace of God is there to pick you up, right? But that's not, oh, no, no, no. No, that's different than the way we live. What we did is we wanted to live as far away from Jesus as possible and still be considered a Christian. And we abused grace by doing this. We had no intentions of living a holy life in sexual purity and our goals and ambitions. No, we were going to do that. And you know what we were going to say? But I'm saved by grace. I'm free in Jesus. Folks, living here with no intensive practical purpose of being holy is not grace. That's called sin. And it's called willful sin. And the book of Hebrews doesn't like it at all. Now you add that with a whole young generation that grows up without ever having made a commitment. And you add that, when I was a little boy, I wanted to go fishing with my dad so badly. Father's Day, look, I just wanted to be with my dad. I didn't know much about fishing. I just wanted to say I went with dad. And dad would always take my older brother, never me. But I begged and cried and moaned. And you know how I am, I just wouldn't shut up. So I just kept going until finally, I got invited by dad. Dad took me fishing with him, my older brother, but he didn't have a fishing pole for me. And I learned about a half hour after I got to Valley Forge River, which was a heavy current stream, heavy, great place to catch trout, that I was going to be the keeper of the fish. So my brother and my dad caught fish. And I just had to stand there and I was supposed to watch them in this net. But even then I had a heart for animals. And they looked to me like they were struggling a little. <laughs> Their little gills, they looked like they were struggling to breathe. And I, I had asthma as a child, and I thought, man, that can't be nice. <laughs> so I just scooted them out just a little in the Valley Forge River to give them a little air. And it wasn't enough because they were still struggling. So I moved them out a little more. And the current swept them and took them. And by the time I realized what had happened, I was too weak to get them back. And my big brother who came over and wanted to kill me and didn't because my dad restrained him. My dad said, what are you doing, son? And I just tried to explain to him, I, I, I'm sorry. But by the time I realized what had happened, the current was too strong. Listen, young, young people, look at me. If you don't make the commitment young in life, we know this by statistics, that the current of the world is so strong that you'll get older and you'll have something inside want to tell you to make it, but you'll be so engulfed in the current, even if you wanted to, it's going to be almost too hard. And when I was living up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we had our first child, Delaney, my dad came up to visit. He had never seen his grandson. And there was a pond in front of the Brandy Chase Apartments where we lived, and there was an old fish in there named Old Sam. They actually named him because he was a catfish. And everybody who lived there hated him. The management detested him because he was eating all the good stuff. My dad, I told him that story on the way. He didn't even wait to see his grandson. Because golf is to me what fishing is to dad. I go nowhere without my golf clubs because you never know. My dad never goes fishing without his fishing equipment. You never know. As soon as I told him that story, he pulled in the parking lot and he said, you better go ask the office manager if I can get old Sam out because I'm going to catch him. I said, dad, you're not going to catch him, but I'll go ask. And the manager said, sure, Jeff, man, if your dad can catch him, get him out of there. More power to him. My dad went out there, took him all of seven minutes. He had an old can of corn. Who carries an old can of corn? I mean... Old can of corn. He poured it out over a spot and he put some corn on his hook and he threw it out there and he just waited. Boom! Pulls old Sam right out. That thing was a big old barbel or catfish. 
And then he held it up. And everybody was on the deck by now watching my dad. They were applauding. He gave him one big smile and threw old Sam back in. Because dad was touched by my story of fish trying, struggling to breathe. No, no. Here's my point. Now, I want you to hear me on this. You put together with our lack of ever making a genuine commitment with the fact that we get caught up in the world system that takes us away from God and now add to that this. According to the Bible, the devil knows exactly the one thing in your life to hook you and destroy you. James chapter 1 verse 14 says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. The word in the Greek for dragged and the word in the Greek for enticed are both fishing terms. It's Jesus' way of saying through James, the devil knows exactly what bait to offer you because he knows your weakness and he knows how to reel you in. If you don't make a commitment sometime in your life when you say, not some of me, not a little bit of me, then whatever's left, the devil will target and he'll take the rest with him. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, you better make a decision to follow Jesus while you're young, now, and give him everything. If you don't, the current is going to be so heavy, it's going to be so fierce, that even if your heart decides it wants to come out, it's going to struggle to ever come out and be what God wants you to be, to do what he wants you to do and live as he wants you to live. Now, there's an alternative to this, and that's the contrast of the other passage, which Paul gives us in Philippians 3, verse 10. Here's what he says. Because Paul is going to tell you and me that when you do commit, listen, when you do commit, Real life begins. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now look up. I got to go through this fast. Say it with me. I'll say it once, then you say it together. Commitment leads to power, which leads to joy. Now all together. Commitment leads to power, which leads to joy. Because here's what's going to happen. Once you do make the commitment and you say to yourself, I am going to do what Jesus wants me to do and I'm going to do it all the time. I'm going to be what he wants me to be and I'm going to be it all the time. And I'm going to live like he wants me to live and I'm going to live it all the time. The first thing you're going to notice is this. You can't. It's impossible. You remember Bernard King, the great nba -er? Yeah. What? <laughs> Come on, man. He's from Tennessee. When he was in Tennessee, it was called the Ernie and the Bernie Show. It was one of our few times, man, we could claim to famous Tennessee Volunteers. And Bernard King, remember, he scored 65 points on one Thanksgiving day. It was great when he played either for the Kings or the Nets. I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He was a great player. My high school basketball coach took us to watch him play when he came back to the University of Tennessee. I stood there beside my coach, and I watched Bernard King really make everybody else look silly, kind of like Kobe does when he's on. I didn't say I liked him. I just said, kind of like Kobe does when he's on. He was dunking on everybody, shooting fadeaway jumpers, hitting the three before there was the three. It, it was amazing. After he does this, my high school basketball coach had the nerve to come over and put his arm around me and say, did you see that, Jeff? I said, I sure did. He said, that's what I want you to do. <laughs> now, there are two problems. One, a lack of talent. Okay? Which is a pretty big deal. Second, a lack of will. I'm not sure that I was willing to do what it would take to get to that kind of level, even if I did have the ability. Now, please, I've been trying to say this all year to you, and I hope it's going to sink in now. There is a difference between doing something for Jesus and allowing Jesus to do something through you. 
The apostle Paul writes earlier in Philippians, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So who works? God. Who wills? God. He gives you the will. He works through you to accomplish his purposes, but he's never going to do that until you fully commit to him. And the reason so many of us don't know what it's like to have God work and will through us because we've never truly committed and given everything to him. He knows it. So here's what he says. Okay, until you give everything to me, I'm not working, I'm not willing through you. But I want my own ambitions and I want to do my own things and I want to carry you along with me, Jesus. Jesus says, no, it doesn't work like that. You, good luck with that. You go try that. And when you're tired and you're empty of yourself and all the things you're pursuing, you come back to me, commit yourself totally and wholly to me and then you'll know what it's like to have power and that power will ultimately lead to joy. How will it lead to joy? Well, you knew I wasn't going through a whole series talking about Tony Campolo without talking about Charlie Stolfuss. Remember Charlie Stolfuss? Campolo says he was invited by a Pentecostal church to go and preach when he was a sociology professor at Eastern College. And he goes over. He said, the thing about Pentecostals, man, they pray for hours. I said that a few weeks ago. So eight big burly elders, Pentecostal elders, got me in this back room, started praying for me before I'd go out and preach. And man, they all put their hands on my bald head. And that was okay. And they prayed for hours, which was okay too, except the more they prayed, the tighter they got. The tighter they got, the more they leaned and you got eight big Pentecostal preachers leaning on my head. And what really ticked me off, he said, is this one guy wasn't even praying for me. He was praying for some dude named Charlie Stolfus. He said, God, you know Charlie Stolfus. He lives down the road one mile in a gray trailer. Campolo says, I'm thinking, what do you think? God needs the address? I think God knows where he lives. But he kept praying, God, I pray for Charlie Stolfus. He left his wife and three kids today. I pray that you would do something. I pray that you would orchestrate events to bring them back together. And Campolo says, he just kept praying for this guy Stolfus. And I just want to say, knock it off, fella. Pray for me. I'm about to preach. So he goes out and he preaches. It's over. He gets on the Pennsylvania Turnpike to go home. There's a hitchhiker. He pulls over. Campolo says, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm a preacher. And anytime you can get a person confined to a restricted area... So I picked him up. We're going down the road. He looked over and he said, hey, fellow, what's your name? The guy said, my name's Charlie Stolfus. <laughs> Campolo says, you have got to be kidding. <laughs> he looked at the guy after a bit of pause. He turned off the next exit. Stolfus says, where are you going? He says, I'm taking you home. <laughs> he says, what do you mean? He says, you just left your three children and your wife, didn't you? He said, the guy plastered himself on the passenger side. Just fear in his eyes. And what really shook him up is when he took him right to his home. <laughs> Pulled in the driveway. The guy's eyes are just bugging out. He runs to the front door. His wife's glad to see him. His kids are there. Tony Campolo says, I walked in there. And they said, how did you know? And Campolo says, God told me. <laughs> God did tell him. God did tell him. And he says, I went in. I made them sit down and listen. I was like E.F. Hutton. Now, most of you won't get that. Some of you will. I was like, yep, they listened to every word I said. And Tony Campolo said, that guy now is a preacher out in Southern California. I looked it up. Charlie Stolfus is a preacher in Southern California. Now, here's the thing. When you commit yourself to God like that, like to, when you commit your life, there is nothing that will bring you more joy than to know that God will put you at the right place at the right time for his purposes. And you can be used of God to do something that really matters. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. 
if you commit yourself to him 100%, a beautiful thing happens. It says, when Jesus possesses you, your heart will be broken by the things that break his heart. When he walks in your shoes, you're gonna feel as he feels. And Paul calls that the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.